Hello, and welcome to another episode of Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? This week, Macintosh transports Mod to 1960s Hong Kong for a timeless film that redefines what a screen romance can be. Though he is on pins and needles hoping this movie holds up as well as when he saw it in high school. Enjoy this review of Wong Kar Wai's 2000 classic, In the Mood for Love. Everybody, this is David, aka Macintosh, and I'm Diana, aka Mod. And this week we are watching 2000s in the mood for love. Two neighbors, a woman and a man, form a strong bond after both suspect extramarital activities of their spouses. However, they agree to keep their bond platonic so as not to commit similar wrongs. So you, along with most of the English-speaking world, have never heard of this movie. Yeah. True. Only in the fact that you special ordered it for me. When I was working at the bookstore, yes. Yeah. So, I gotta tell a little story about how I know about this movie and how I came to love it. Yep. In high school, we had a Spanish teacher, Senor Jambashu. He was Romanian, but he knew how to speak four languages. Yeah. Super cool dude. One year, after the year after we took his Spanish class, he talked to a couple of friends of mine, and he was a noted film buff. He just loved movies. And wanted to start a film watching club at school. Mm -hmm. So it was a group of five or six different people. It kind of petered out before the end of the semester. But they got in some like really great off the beaten path classic films that spurned interest. I saw the Maisley's Brothers Salesman. They watched Battleship Potemkin, the Russian film. Mm -hmm. And this was one of the movies we watched. Uh, He brought it up. I knew nothing about it. What's crazy is this movie, had, at the time I watched it, had probably only been out for three or four years. I, f- I didn't realize that at all. I thought this was kind of a classic film. But I just remember watching it and falling in love with the story, with the artistry, mm-hmm. with everything that was going on in this movie. And in fact, this is probably the first film out of an Asian country that I really saw, mm-hmm. which spurned me to go discover... Kurosawa and Suzuki and some of the other master directors out of there. Okay. Like, I think this was, this was a real kind of game changing moment for movies for me. Cool. What are your initial thoughts? Um, it was good. It cuts very quickly. Yes. Which I did not like. Yeah. Um, but I feel like if I was a native speaker, it wouldn't have bothered me as much. Um, but because I'm both watching the film and reading the film, um, those jump cuts don't give me a lot of time to digest information. Right. So that makes it harder for me to enjoy it. So while I still think the cuts are too fast, I know that part of the annoyance is because I'm not a native speaker of the film. I appreciate the style he went with. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think it was perfectly right for this story. I thought about it as almost a Mad Men-esque thing. Oh, it definitely feels like Mad Men now because it's taking place during the 60s. Right. The clothing is almost the exact same. And the settings are not because this is a different country. Um, but the clothing is very similar. Well, and the... there's only one or two characters who is wearing clothing you would expect to see in Hong Kong. Right. And the quiet, the subtlety of the acting, uh, the nuance of what's going on. So let's discuss our director and writer. And overall film dude. <laughs> film dude. Wong Kar Wai. Okay. 
Wong Kar Wai, uh, been making movies since the 80s. Uh, this movie is part of a, I would say, thematic trilogy. Uh, okay. Not a true story arc, but filmed with the same vibe, sort of. Mm-hmm. A movie came out in 1990 called Days of Being Wild. And then this movie, and then one right after it called 2046. Has he done any American films? Yes, he has. He has done one American film, My Blueberry Nights, with Nora Jones and <laughs> Natalie Portman. Oh, okay. Don't know if you remember that at all. It was right at the peak of Nora Jones' fame, yeah. and she plays a yeah, singer on the road. Have to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, that's like the one big American breakout. Uh, but everything else has been mostly in and around his home country. Okay. Let me get your thoughts on his style and his vibe first. Okay, well, I can't really speak to the writing exactly, again, because this is a foreign film. Uh-huh. So any nuances in dialogue, we are not going to get from subtitles. Well, I can also tell you that you're not going to get anything from it because there is no script. Okay, interesting. Wong Kar Wai works without a script exclusively. Interesting. Hmm. Which got him into some trouble. This movie took 15 months to make. And part of the reason it took so long is that he was filming in China, and the Chinese authorities Mm -hmm. wanted to see a finalized script. And there isn't any. Because 1960s Hong Kong is a real sensitive subject in China. Yeah. No, I get that. That's right around the Mao Cultural Revolution, and Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of shit went down. Mm -hmm. So they were like, what are you doing? What politics are you putting in this movie? He didn't have a script. Yeah. So they had to move from Beijing to Macau, which is a, a island owned in mm-hmm. China, to get away from some of the authorities. Okay. Well, I I like the story a lot. I do too. It's a good story. It's a little on the nose a bit in terms of the affair. Correct. It's a little too easy, and the reveal of that didn't play very well. I think I'm a slightly better movie detective than most people, so I see things coming. So that's just, that wasn't done great. I think either you need to draw that out, or you almost need to let it just be there at the beginning of the movie. Okay, so... There needs to be something that is present. So we never know if these characters actually have sex. We know they don't have sex, because they talk about that we will not be like them over and over again. That could mean a million different things. So this is a real complicated issue for this film. No, exactly. But here's my thing. Because we never know if they have sex, I feel like the mystery of, or the idea that their spouses are the ones having the affair should also not be revealed. I feel like it should be, they know they're sleeping with somebody else. It could be their spouses sleeping together. See, I find it interesting. Like, I feel like that's one of those things that should be ambiguous like them. So I find it interesting that you you take that that way. I see the film that they never have sex. They never act mm-hmm. sexually on their relationship. Mm-hmm. That it is purely an emotional relationship. And really, in their minds, Ro- Roger Ebert, I-, I read a little bit of his review. He put this perfectly in that these are two people who they agree they are not going to act on this affair. But the reality is they both disagree, but they think the other one still thinks that's the rule. No, so so in this weird way, they are forced into this by thinking the other person doesn't want to break their fidelity. No, I, I totally get that. And I like that social construct. Exactly. But the fact of the matter is that there's we don't see all of their interaction. We see very little of it on purpose. 
That's interesting that you took that away because I've always seen this um, film as they never act on it. They're super. And some of that is that culture that they, no, ex- they well, are ex- so afraid of their neighbors finding out. No, sure. No, and I get all of that. But they are full on having an affair. And, and in some ways without realizing it. No, see, I get that he fully realizes it while it's going on, that he is having an emotional affair with this woman. Right. Because um, they're both lonely. That's where this came from. That's they're true. they're lonely, and I think that was happening before they both realized that there was the, there was the ex the affair of their spouses. And I feel like she realizes that she was in love with him once it's over. Right. I feel like that's the case because then we have the whole she's living next door with her son. Uh huh. And that's the hat tip of maybe it's his son, maybe it's not. That's true. That's where I get the. They could have had sex. They could have not. And I like that it's ambiguous because it's either his son or it's not. So having read up on this film, one of those big things to me that that speaks to, it would have been nice to have more. Mm -hmm. He was legendarily filming and editing this movie Mm -hmm. like a week before Khan. Mm -hmm. He was still doing reshoots. Okay. And trying to get a final cut put together. Mm-hmm. And originally the cut was 132 minutes mm-hmm. and he hacked and slashed it to 98. Okay. I still like the amount of time the movie is. I like the fact yes. that it's not overdrawn. We but don't the, need we don't need too much more. I wish I could have like 10 to 15 minutes more. Just to let some breathing room in. Yeah, just to let those keep those cuts from being so quick. Um, but I think he made the right choice in leaving things ambiguous yes. on so many fronts. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. Um, he used some instances where I feel like he was trying to show the passage of time. But because of the way it was filmed, I'm not entirely sure if that was the case or I, I was reading into it. Like there's where she goes to the noodle place and then we close up on the, the street light. Yeah. And then it just starts raining. And so, but they hold on that and then we see him coming by. Right. And so I feel like that was more of like a passage of time sequence. But one, it was filmed so dark. Yes. Like, like the, the, sh- the movie itself is visually dark. Right. Which was weird, and I don't, I don't love that, and so that that made it hard to know. Okay, is that what he's actually doing, or am I just reading into it? So something, something I got from all this is Wong Kar Wai is part of the whole new auteur thing with yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson and some of these people. What's interesting is he seems like the most direct successor to the French New Wave directors, mm-hmm. and so there's this Godard thing in his movies I'm seeing where it's like. I'm breaking rules just to break rules. Yeah. And you have to figure it out for yourself what that means. Yeah. And if it wasn't, that's fine. If it is, that's fine too. They do have some blocks where they like, okay, it's been a whole year now. Right. We go to Singapore. It's been a whole year. Yeah. And it doesn't pop up on the subtitles, I think. But when they go back to the apartment the next mm-hmm. time, it's supposed to be 1966. Yeah. So it's been a while. And that and and the clue for that is that everybody's left because the Cultural Revolution yeah. is happening mm-hmm. and all the people are getting the fuck out of Hong Kong. Yeah. You know, there is some time that lags throughout the rest of the story at the end. Mm-hmm. What would be fascinating is to see him have all of the footage just as, a, just as an experiment or at least a story arc of everything strung together. Yes. To know, like, what... What was cut out? What was yeah. put in? There are deleted mm-hmm. scenes on the Criterion version of this. There's all sorts of extra stuff to look at. Cool. And he even used some things he filmed from this movie in the sequel, 2046. Okay. 
which that number comes from the hotel room number that they that yeah. he gets. That's cool. So there's all sorts of little connections. Uh, one other really interesting thing about the influence of this, Sofia Coppola specifically credited him mm-hmm. and used his, some of his shots as inspiration for Lost in, in translation. translation. Yeah, no, I felt that. It's like, oh, this feels very Lost in Translation. The secrets. Uh, the secrets, just the the lingering. There's a, lo- a lot of the lingering. And not in a creepy, bad way, but it's just like, just letting somebody... I, lo- I, I love a shot, particularly in this type of movie, and, and like Lost in Translation, where you let the camera sit and you let the actor move in and out of the frame. Yes. And like, they're just doing their whole thing. We saw this in Taxi Driver a lot, where it's just like, we- it's almost like, we're spying on this person, and I like that for these types of smaller films. This movie is in film studies for a reason. Um, oh, no, I can see that. I Absolutely. caught a YouTube video about this, and one of the interesting things they talk about is this movie is all about frames within frames. Where yeah. in each sequence, the, the guy said, it takes me about 30 minutes in this movie before I see somebody that's in a full frame shot. And it's not one of our main characters. Yeah. They are always confined. I also like that we never see the spouses. Like yes. we see their bodies, but we never see their face. It's, it's such... very ambiguous. And I like that. It's good. And we only hear their voices. Like it's such perfect. We see trip. the back of the husband. I think so. Yeah. No, one in the time. beginning we see him. Yeah. And then we see the, the wife's feet. That's about it. And, and that's it's, fine. It's, and, but it's great because it makes yeah. it really about them. And the only other characters that we see are Ping, who he works with, her boss, and then the landlord, and then the, the chef yeah. at the apartment place. It's I'm, like, I'm, that's really it. I'm going to call her Hong Kong Alice because she reminds <laughs> she, me of Alice from the Brady Bunch. She is little Hong Kong Alice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's so much extra trivia. Like, look at Wikipedia. Go look it up, guys. There's so much about this movie. It's mm-hmm. really interesting to read about. Let's talk about the actors. Okay. Our main two actors, Roger Ebert gave me another great line. This is the equivalent of Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan in a movie together Hmm. in terms of Hong Kong. They are like the two biggest stars. Both are also known from the movie Hero that Jet Li was in. Okay. They, they, he felt very familiar to me. This is Tony Lung we're talking about. Okay. The other thing he's pretty well known for is Infernal Affairs, the movie which The Departed is based on. Okay. But he's really only done Hong Kong movies. Okay. He appears in all three of these movies. Okay. And he's sort, and he basically plays himself in 2046, Mm -hmm. which is about Love Lost. Okay. AKA, this is him after all of this. Yeah. But he's also like one of Wong Kar Wai basically uses the same actors in all his movies. Mm-hmm. This so he is one of the go-to guys for these different things that he does. Okay. He won Best Actor at Con for this film. What'd you think of him? Oh, I thought he was lovely. He kept reminding me of somebody. Oh, who was it? Uh, it was Daniel Day Kim from Lost, and uh, then he was also on. Was it Miami Vice? Oh no, he just quit that show. Oh, Hawaii Five O. Hawaii Five O. Good for him because. They weren't paying him a lot. So I he has Daniel Day Kim just has that quality where some Asian actors, particularly men, get shit on because their faces aren't expressive enough. Right. But Daniel Day Kim, I always looked at him and just was like, he says so much. And especially on Lost, where he has the language barrier, like all he just did so much without without speaking that language, and I felt that here. Yeah, it's like he's doing so much, and he's speaking a language I don't understand, and even with subtitles, I'm like I get you. He's speaking Cantonese, mm-hmm. and there's there's 
everything's in his face. Mm -hmm. This is one of those rare cases where you could watch this movie without subtitles and probably get about uh, 60 to 75% of what's going on. If you, if the majority of the, if the majority of the movie you can understand without subtitles, that means the director's done an amazing job. Yes. Because it's all visual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I love the silence. I love how he's able to take the sort of sequences that they are building and just be ever present in it. I do think sometimes he seems like the instigator of some of the more raw emotional moments that they have. Yes. As opposed to Maggie Chung, mm-hmm. who, if if Tony Leung is great, she is incredible in this movie, to me. Uh, she's good. I mean, she's good. Um, but I think he has more heavy lift. He does more heavy lifting. Hmm. Well, she also appeared in Hero, but she basically retired after this movie. Uh, she did a couple more movies, but she said, I've done the best thing I'll ever do Oh, after doing this film. I'm not going to do anything better after this. Her makeup took five hours each day. Why? The hair to get it to stand that still. Okay. Call, it's called a wig. <laughs> or you do something different. Well, this movie did notoriously go over budget. And they were filming in location, and he was obsessed with technical detail. Okay. And that is why you wear a wig. If that's if if it's that important to you that your hair is that perfect and consistent and the same, then you wear a wig because you can man- maintain that continuity. So that's just stupid production. It might have something to do with the dresses, which are a very specific style of dress. They're called Chongsan. She had worn them in a movie before this. Mm-hmm. They are incredibly restrictive. On movement. But I do like that. I feel like those dresses specifically force her into a style. Yes. And a manner that is so perfect for that character. Yes, she's always wearing a very high collar. She's also like one of the only people who's ever wearing anything colorful or patterned. Right. Uh, So that's that's visually more interesting. I also like that she wore the same outfit several times. True. Um, so that's good. But yeah, five hours is bullshit. <laughs> that's just bullshit. Not cool. No. Not cool production designers. Speaking of some other actors, Ah Ping was played by Ping Lam Siu. Oh, Ah Ping. Just a goofball. Yeah. Getting in trouble. Raising hell. Don't be sidekick talking about going to see hookers. But fun story, he's also the props guy. <laughs> just, you know, Whatever. throw him in. He's a funny dude. And then Mrs. Chow, the landlord, mm-hmm. uh, was played by Beatrice Pan who for a long time had been a recording artist and done a few movies, one of her songs is in the film that she recorded when she was 18 years old. That's cool. Any other people stand out to you that are great? No. Nah. There's not that many people. No, it's it's an ensemble thing, and the people that drift in are just there to serve the purpose. Let's talk tech, because there's a lot of tech. So the cinematography was mostly done by a guy named Christopher Doyle, but he left halfway through the production. I believe mostly out of time things. He needed to take on other projects. Now, I normally wouldn't go through a full description of a dude, but this guy is a little bit nutso. Mm-hmm. He's Australian. Yeah. He left when he, in his teens, to go on a Norwegian fishing boat, wound up in Hong Kong, became a photographer, and then became a DP. Okay. And up until 2046, when he walked off halfway and quit for good working with Wong Kar Wai, was his DP on everything okay he has done some american stuff mm-hmm. made the john favreau and vince vaughn movie gus van zandt's remake of psycho and the lady in the water 
That's a really good movie. To name a few. Like, people shat on that movie, but it was really enjoyable. So they can not shut the fuck up. And I think a lot of his American work has come from directors who really respond to these films. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the films that came before this that Wong Kar Wai did. He also did the video for Sexy Back. I'm bringing sexy back. Yeah. And the other boys don't know how to act. Yeah. What? Yeah. He was the DP for Sexy Back. Wow. I thought you'd just find that one fun. And now I'm just thinking back to when that came out. <laughs> that was back in my bookstore days. Nice. <laughs> I mean, so we talked about the framing and the color movement. What's really interesting is, from stuff I've seen, Wong Kar Wai's movies are usually very kinetic. It's very much about movement and color all over the place in a lot that of his is movies. not this movie. No, and that's what's so interesting is, I feel like the amount of restraint with the camera is so interesting because you can tell this is a person who knows how to move the camera. And then the costumes and the set? Uh, set was very cramped. Lighting was bad. So <laughs> the cinematographer I'm really not pleased with. That this movie was not lit well. Oh, I love it. Uh, no, it's bad. I love the color. It's it's bad. Um, if I can't focus on what's in the actual room because I can't see anything, it's not the best. Okay, but we were watching on a computer. It, it doesn't matter. My computer is better better screen than some of our TVs. So yeah, yeah costume costumes are fine. There were forty six dresses in total. Not all of them made the final no, cut. No, I was like, not all of them made the cut, because I know two specifically were reworn several times in the film. Yeah. Uh, the green one and then the floral one, but in the particularly. But in most chunks, she's wearing a different dress. Yeah, and that's fine. That makes yeah. sense for her and her job. And yeah. I thought they were gorgeous. They are beautiful. They I love the attention to detail. Her. I mean, they're very appropriate for the time. They look beautiful on her. Um, it gives her a little more interest because everything else is more bland. Music. But there's two songs. <laughs> well, They're good songs, but okay. there's two of them. Two two chunks of songs, because one is like three different songs, but they rotate them. Yeah. We have to talk about Yumeji's theme. Yep. Which is the main theme for the film. Mm-hmm. That gets played way too damn much. Every two seconds, they start playing this theme. And it is beautiful. And I like how it's being used. But there's a couple problems with it. The first is that it is way louder than any of the audio for the film. Yeah. So tonally, it's bad. That's wrong. Yeah. Like they needed to bring the volume down on it so it helps serve what's happening in the scene. The other problem is they use it. Every time they decide they're going to have a slow-moving exposition. Right. And they use the exact same cut of it. It's not like they turn the volume down on the song and they turn it back up for this different portion of a song to do the same thing. So that's just bad editing. Like, well, that's bad. it's just bad. It's a specific choice and it is what it is. It's I don't like it. Bad choice. Yeah. Because they did it at least like 13 times. Yeah, I know. Somebody, you could go through and clock this whole thing about how many times they did it. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's too much. On the other hand, God, it's a gorgeous song. It, it is. It is beautiful. I even more than this movie, I fell in love with the soundtrack, and at one point bought it at a Borders. Hi. <laughs> but um, I I really loved that music. It just I agree. Seeing it now, it's like, damn, y'all shouldn't have used it that much. Let's talk about the other side, which is the three Nat King Cole songs. Aqueos ojos verdes De mirada serena Dejaron en mi alma Eterna sed de amar Including Aqueos ojos verdes Meaning those green eyes Okay a.k.a. Jealousy. Mm-hmm. Hint, hint. Quizás, quizás, quizás. Which you would better know as perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. If you love cake, you'll know that. Yes. Cake's version of it is the shit. But so is this one. Uh, it's pretty good. I, I like it in that language, and I like that he's singing it. Oh, yeah. And then the te quiero dijiste, uh, which means I love you, you said. Hmm. I like how they're used. Again, it's a little overdone. Yeah, they used perhaps a little too much but i do like when they use it because it's a little cheeky yes and when they use it is when they are you can tell that they are flirting they're more outwardly flirting with each other right well like they both know i like you and you like me like that's happening well and what's crazy with that flirting is it's flirting through the mechanism of playing out their spouse's affair yes which is just so fascinating which is funny but i totally get it yeah. Totally understand that. So. They, well, they make it truly believable <laughs> on camera. And I just imagine myself at like 16 or 17 being like, oh my God. Yeah. This is crazy. Yep. The reason for this, like such weird music, he that was the music that was going on in Hong Kong in that time period. Mm-hmm. He was there during that time. That makes sense. And so there was Latin music coming from Hawaii and the mm-hmm. Philippines. Yeah. They were hearing that over the radio. And then they had their traditional music. And so it all kind of blended together. That's why you occasionally get a traditional Chinese song thrown in there for good measure. Yeah. And maybe, But maybe my favorite piece of the whole thing is the orchestration by Michael Galasso when he's at Angkor Wat in Cambodia. at the temple whispering the secrets oh yeah that is the most gorgeous piece in the whole movie that's pretty good i love and see and here's the thing about that is that they used it and i barely noticed it because it wasn't taking it wasn't taking over what was going on on screen it wasn't yumeji's theme yeah yeah it served the scene not the song i think the issue it's just like they use it too damn much it's yep. just when it hits and it works, it fucking works really good. Yeah, and it works like two of the 13 times. <laughs> That's not a good ratio. I, I It's would, not like it was nine of 13. It I was would, two. Okay, I'll say like five of 13. You're still wrong. It works a few more times. It's not a that. good ratio. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I it's not good. I agree. Okay. Let's talk about the romance. What do you think of this romance? I like it. Uh, it's, no, I mean, I do like that. I like that it's two people who've come together because they've been wronged. Yeah. 
And it's from that they have a connection. And uh, that's, you know, in this movie, that's not sustaining. But it makes sense. It, it works out perfectly. I, I love... I love the restraint that they bring to this idea. Well, I, I like how, because it would be so, and you know, in many films, like, oh, I've been wronged. So-and-so cheated on me. So I'm going to go have like 12 other affairs. And then, oh, you know, and then we're going to let go from it. And it's it's a nice little snapshot. Yeah. So I liked it. A refreshing and different. Just different. A little different. Yeah. It's, not, <laughs> it's not what you would get in a rom-com of this mm-hmm. at all. Correct. This is not a rom com. No, no, not at no. all. Though occasionally they get they they get a little cheeky and it's fun. I love the cheeky. Cheeky's good. There's enough humor in it to not make you feel like it's a total downer. Correct. Alright. Last thoughts? I I liked it and it's been a while since I've watched a foreign film, so Well good. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it's a nice reintroduction. Actually, I liked it so much it's making me rethink our final selection for our romance and musical series. Whoa now. Yeah. Um right now we have Funny Face as our last one. Because it's a musical and it's about romance. There you go. But I kind of wanna switch to He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not which is a French film. Definitely got a romance vibe in there, and it's a little unexpected. It's got Audrey Tateau from Amelie, uh, but I can't decide. So I think today, the day this goes up, I'm going to put a poll on Twitter and our Facebook page, and y'all can vote for which one you like, and I will uh, I will take all of the votes. So you can technically vote twice, once on Twitter and once on, uh, on Facebook, and uh, I'll see... See who wants it, because I can't decide. And you're of no help, because you've seen neither. <laughs> uh, that's not... I, I can't figure that one out. Y'all gotta tell me what to watch. Yeah. Okay. How many out of five chunks on dresses <laughs> do you give this movie? 3.5. Awesome. <laughs> you get so excited when I don't give your movies a two. <laughs> I was so worried about this movie. Like... <laughs> I've I, I think I've had I've been physically nervous about this movie. Of all the movies we've done, this is the only one you've really been nervous about. Because I hadn't seen it in I think that's how I felt about Sound of Music. I have not seen this movie in God knows how long. I've seen it one time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that I just had this connection to yeah. it. Yeah. And I was so scared in watching it again mm-hmm. that it was gonna be gone. That's fair. So I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, it would have been a real slog. This was one of the better films you've made me watch. Yes! Like, this is def- like this is one of the better ones. Any particular reasons for your three out of five? Chunks on dresses? <laughs> uh, it was just, it was just entertaining. It was different. Yeah. It was, it was a good experience. Alright, awesome. I'm gonna go just a little higher than you and go a four. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the artistry of the movie. Seeing it with fresh eyes and still really liking it makes me want to go watch some of his other films mm-hmm. that I've heard so much about uh, that are supposedly completely different and mm-hmm. amazing in their own right. And I still really love how different and unique a romance this is. Hmm. Um, it just still strikes me as so refreshing from everything else that's shown in romantic movies. And so while I recognize some you know, imperfections and not great sheen. It's not the greatest thing ever. I still give it a four because I still really love it. Okay. Whew. Got through that gauntlet. Been so <laughs> nervous about this one. <laughs> What's up next time? Uh, next time is a uh, lower quality film by a lot. <laughs> by a lot. 
um, I think we've established on this show that you have nothing from the 90s, particularly of the teen-focused genre. I have some 90s experience, excuse me, but teen-related? Hey, yeah, no, I can't. You got nothing. So, next week, we're watching She's All That. I have nothing you're going to have to fill on this one. It's so fun. It gets made fun of a lot. There's so many people in this movie. There's just so much going on. And it's only like 80 minutes long. Is this movie even more of a trope than American Pie? Yeah. Wow. Because I think this came out before then. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it did. I'll have to double check. I'll I'll know by next time. But it's so ridiculous. You'll love it. I think you'll really enjoy it for how ridiculous it is. And then when we get to, like, parody movies, you're going to have a real good time. <laughs> nice. Because I, yeah, especially with our Riverdale podcast, I think, I, I think you'll, it'll, it'll help with some context. I now understand so many things. I think, th- I think, I think it'll unlock some things for you. Okay. Okay. Because this movie is heavily uh, uh, mocked. So Great. it's it's not the work of a film auteur and modern master, is what you're saying. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's a great, great pile of shit. <laughs> that I used to watch on a loop. Nice. Because it was that entertaining. All right, till next time. This week we saw Ready Player One. When the creator of a virtual reality world called The Oasis dies, he releases a video in which he challenges all Oasis users to find his Easter egg, which will give the finder his fortune. So I liked it. I didn't read the book. I meant to, but I just never got around to it. But I enjoyed it. I hated this. Yeah, I could feel you rolling your eyes next to me. I was already predisposed to having some issues with it after reading some of the criticism that's come out recently of the book itself. And I will say, if you have read Ready Player One, this diverges wildly from the book. The basic plot structure is the same, Mm -hmm. but how things progress is totally different. I think everybody who they cast, though, is a little prettier than they should have been in real life. Well, that's called movies. I get it. But see, like, the guy who plays... Wade, he's he's not bad looking. He's just not like stereotypical hot dude. He looks like guys I went to high school with. Like he's just very boy next door. Maybe a little bit. I what I think I really have a problem with is this book felt kind of unfilmable to some degree because of the pop culture references it mm-hmm. deals with. Like it's all pop culture references. Yeah. But one of the issues I have is that in trying to make this a movie type story. Mm-hmm. They boiled out all of the interesting nuance that came from the discussion of being in the stacks, of the life in the Oasis, Mm -hmm. and dealing with that type of stuff, of all the people in the cities dealing with this. This is a two and a half hour movie, and there's not a whole lot of meat to chew on. I do agree. It's a little bit long. He could probably could have cut 20 minutes out of it, but it was fun. The overall message is that reality is real 
and you need to spend time in it, not just being plugged in, which is true. That's a very valuable message for today, and that's okay. I mean, I haven't read the book. I'd still be interested in reading the book, but the movie was fine. Was it super pop culture references? Yeah, but there are a lot of movies who've done the exact same thing. But this was a this is a world video game. And having been a really big Sims fan, like obsessive Sims fan for a very long time, it's like, yeah, I totally get like you are living through these fake people and these fake scenarios and spending a lot of time and sometimes money on this virtual pretend universe. Which is what I wanted more of from this movie. Well, I think they gave us a hell of a lot of it. I didn't and feel I like they enjoyed did. It. I felt like it was mostly action sequences. I don't know. Some some felt off to me about it. And I think it's that to me with a with a story like this, there's a whole lot more interesting stuff to explore mm-hmm. than what they did. That's just okay. how I felt about it. That's fine. But again, when you're writing when you're adapting a book, you have to pick the through line. Like a lot of people who love the the musical Wicked and then go read the book are horrified. At the book, because they are not a lot alike. They really aren't. <laughs> if you love Wicked the book and you then you go see the musical, it's cool. Like you can be like, oh, they cut this out and they cut that out. And I mean, they really like just simplified the story way down. And it's like, yeah, you kind of have to. You can't go the other way. If you're super, super attached to that musical and then you go read that book, you're fucked. You're going to hate that book. Huh. There's there's no back there's no other way about it. Well, for me, I I'm I'm fully willing to admit I I honestly thought this could be a better movie than the book. I really did. And see, I've heard a lot of people say, you know what, I like this more than I like the book. I, I and I can I can genuinely see that. For me, I felt like they ignored what I thought were the most interesting parts of the book mm-hmm. and went for the low hanging fruit. I think a lot of people would probably feel the opposite. Where they were more interested in the pop culture reference. And mm-hmm. that's that's people's preference. It's just for me, I thought the more compelling story is the unrea- the stuff that, that Ernest Klein wrote in the book mm-hmm. had a lot more to do with being in virtual reality, ignoring everything going on around you. Those were the things that hit more poignantly to me than all of the pop culture stuff. Oh, I get that. And they probably could have leaned into that a little bit more. I think uh, there could have been a better balance, maybe. Maybe, maybe a balance is a better... Critique, because I think I think at the end of the day, Spielberg kind of just Spielberged it up a little much. I mean, Spielberg's a hack. I mean, he makes good movies, but they're kind of hacky. He's the best hack there's ever been. True that. He's the True. best hack that's ever had. Here's the thing: what it does does well. Oh yeah, I was trepidatious to begin with. I was hopeful that they would go in an in an interesting direction, and I felt like they went in the more boring direction from what I wanted to see. So, mm. but it is what it is. It's. It's going to be one of those movies that you're either going to like it or you're going to be bored out of your mind. It's mm-hmm. one of the two. That's, I mean, I, I, this was, of the movies that we have slated that we need to go see, this was the longest one. Oh, gosh. So I'm kind of glad we got it out of the way, because next weekend we won't be seeing a new movie, so we'll have to double up the following weekend. But next week, you guys are going to get a double feature from us. I'm, we're, you guys already know we're doing She's All That. But I'm not telling you what our the special, secret, awesome second film is going to be. Uh-oh. Yeah, so you guys will just have to be super excited for that when it drops. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah. And until next time. Bye, guys.
that's it for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. And for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com. <laughs>